0: have a seat. We're going to be continuing our uh, Elder Determined series, a a new look in the Old Testament. And uh, thank you, Chelsea. Thank you, worship team, for that uh, amazing time of adoration to our, our great God. And we serve an amazing God, yes? Good, so like I said, we're going to continue uh, to look at the Old Testament, and today we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. So if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and turn to the book of Jonah. In fact, we're going to be looking at that this week and the, the next two weeks to come. And so in our Elder Determined series, this is like a, it's like a, mini, a mini series within a series. It's It's complicated. But we're going to be looking at Jonah, so like I said, please turn there, and uh, we've already seen some amazing things, we've already experienced some amazing things, and and uh, we've gone through, and, and Tony kind of walked us through the origins of sin, and, and, and God's proto-evangelum, right? Uh, God's initial plan, initial revealing of what he's going to do in order to remedy uh, the the disaster of the choices that we made. Um, we've looked at, uh, Tony walked us through the exodus, some amazing things that God did there, and he parted the Red Sea, and he saved the Israelites. Um, George walked us through some uh, heroes of the faith, right? Where uh, where Abraham and his, in relation to his son Isaac and the things that they had going on there. And uh, Don walked us through the, the scepter and the star and, and how a prophecy way back then was pointing towards Christ and who that is um, and what he is. And so some good stuff that we've seen already. And uh, we're going to see some good stuff today. We've had, right, we've had talking snakes. We've had a talking donkey. Um, we've had seas that are parted. And today we get a man that's swallowed by a fish. Good stuff good stuff. Um, but there is going to be a little bit different with Jonah than what we've kind of seen with these other things. Uh, George mentioned all these heroes of the faith that could go through and and point out, but when we read Jonah, we'll get to see that there's really, there's really no hero in Jonah save for God alone. Um, and so Jonah serves a slightly different purpose. Jonah kind of reveals to us the character of God reveals to us who God is, what He's about, what He cares about, and it's good. It's good to know that. It's good to know who God is. It it helps us to be able to relate to God better, and it helps us to be able to relate to one another better when we understand God and we understand our place in Him. So let's jump in, shall we? Let's uh, let's get into the Book of Jonah, and uh, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to read through all of Jonah. And today I'm gonna, we're part one, we're going to uh, touch on chapter one and chapter two, uh, next week, or chapter three, sorry, next week will be chapter two and then the following week, chapter four. So today we'll read through Jonah and do chapters one and three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. They each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone out in the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. And so the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then he said to them, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea And the sea ceased from its raging, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord. Out of my distress, he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. And those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish. but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons of who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? The book of Jonah. So when I was younger and I would hear this story of Jonah, I would often um, picture in my mind the movie Pinocchio. Specifically, when when Geppetto and and uh, this cat and the fish—I don't remember what their names are—but um, they were in this belly of the whale, right? And they're they're sitting there on this this wreckage of uh, of a boat, and and they're trying to they're trying to catch fish. They got fishing poles. They're trying to catch fish out of the water that's that's in this this uh, cavernous uh, cavity inside a whale. Because I'm pretty sure that's how whales function on the inside. But that's what they're doing, right and they're trying to catch fish and and, and geppetto is is looking uh, despondent, and uh, there's no fish, and he's hungry and he's lethargic and, and he's, he's feeling doomed, right and so this is what I pictured. Uh, pictured Jonah in the belly of this this whale, um, finding some fleshly lump to sit on for three days, sitting all sad and forlorn um, but it's it's kind of. It's kind of cartoonish isn't it kind of a fairy tale kind of a, a little bit out there hard to believe and so as I got older I started to look for uh, look for things that could help me make sense uh, of what I read in the Bible but also make sense with what I've come to understand about the world and so I would I would gravitate towards towards things like the the labyrinth organ And so this is a, this is an organ that some species of fish have that enable them to breathe outside of water. So they have gills and they can function in, in, in water just fine. Um, But if the water source becomes scarce or if the, uh, the oxygen saturation in the water uh, becomes limited and they're unable to breathe properly through their, their gills, they can actually surface and gulp in air and take, take in oxygen uh, through the gaseous form like we do. And so I started to picture, okay, what if what if there's this large fish, this species back then that came along and it, it, it half swallowed Jonah to the point that he's pressing on the fish's gills and, and the gills is unable to breathe normally in water. And so it goes up and it's struggling, but it's surfacing and it's just getting as a little bit as it can and just continues to gulp and gulp and gulp and swim along trying to survive as it's bitten off more than it can chew. And Jonah's able to breathe because the fish stays above the water. I'm like, oh, that could be it. That could work. That could work. But then I, I actually just heard a story about a couple, I think it was a couple weeks, maybe a month ago, there was a guy who was fishing for crabs, and he's down in there, he's, he's diving for crabs, and he's, he tells this story, and his, his buddies helped save him afterwards, and he went to the hospital, had a dislocated hip after the incident, but he tells the story about he's down there doing what he's been doing for 30-some years, and all of a sudden, he feels like he gets hit by a truck. And and his initial thought was that that a shark's got him, and he's getting eaten by a shark. But then he quickly realizes that there's not the the sharp pain of the the, the teeth searing and and, and sawing into him. And all he's got is is darkness and all this this thick, matted material around him. And he realizes, I've been swallowed by a whale. But he was only in there for maybe 30 or 40 seconds, and 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 it tells him the story that 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 is he he kind of the, the whale shook his mouth and, and his words is that he kind of he kind of spit him out of his mouth. And so in looking up this and hearing this guy's story, I stumbled upon another one. Back in 2019, and this there's actual footage of this that a guy who's who goes and and films these these swarming events where these whales like to feed, he's down there filming this. And this whale just hits him. And, and his buddy's up on the boat. And the whale comes up. They've actually got a shot of him. And you can, you can Google it and look at it. And there he is, hanging half out of this whale's mouth. And his experience is much the same. It was just blackness and darkness. And then all of a sudden, the, the whale opened his mouth. And the gush of water come flowing out. And he went with it. And it, like it vomited him out. It's like, wow, there it is. That's it. That's it. But despite my conditioning to, to struggle with accepting things like this as real, I've realized that I've got to come to the grips with the reality that our God is a God of miracles. Our God is a God of miracles. In Matthew 12, 40, Jesus tells uh, is talking with with some Pharisees and they come to him and they say give us a sign show us something that 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 proves what you're saying is true and Jesus says that that uh, a a wicked generation looks for proof a wicked generation seeks a sign the only sign you're going to be given is the one that you've already got in Jonah who is three days and three nights in the belly of a fish And the same that the Son of Man, the prophesied Messiah, will spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus equates his death, burial, and resurrection to Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. And so if I have to believe in Jesus to be having died and being raised to life, then then I also need to believe that God, God can make this happen. God can make a fish swallow a man and keep him alive for three days because our God is a God of miracles. Because our God can do things. He can suspend the natural laws and do something that's unheard of. God can change chemistry so that a a man can walk on water. God can alter biology so that a, a woman can become pregnant without a male counterpart. God can, can morph physics so that he can speak matter into existence. Our God is a God of miracles. You know, it's, it's interesting that in all of the book of Jonah, we become so fascinated with the fish part. It's three verses. It's literally three verses out of the whole book, and that's what we're like, ooh. But all through it, God is doing miracles. God is doing the impossible. And so let's take a look at one of the, some of the things that God did. And so back in, in, in chapter 1, verse 1, we see that now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amatai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. That's a miracle. God spoke, and Jonah heard him. God who doesn't have a larynx, God who doesn't have vocal cords, is able to speak, and, and, and Jonah is able to hear him. That is something amazing. That is something beyond what is normal. And time and time and again we read through the scriptures of God speaking and, and people hearing him. Sometimes there's 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 sounds of great thunder, and that's what some people thought they heard, but others clearly heard God speak. Jesus, when he gets baptized. And he says, this is my son in whom I love and I am well pleased. People could hear God speak. Sometimes it's, it's audible. Sometimes God's, God's creating noise in the air that creates the right kind of waves and the right kind of pressure so our ears hear it as, as voice. Sometimes God is able to, to, to put us in some kind of, some kind of trance type state where, where the information, the signals, the data signals are just bouncing around in our head and don't come from the ear. But it's still God speaking. These are the things that God can do. God is a God of miracles. But so he told Jonah, he said, arise and go to Nineveh. So Jonah, he did, he arose, he got up, but he, he went the other way. He looked, he looked to run. He looked to flee. He didn't want to do what God had him do. And so he runs down. He finds some sailors. He finds a boat. He pays for them. And they're set in sail. And then boom, God hits him with a storm. It's like a, it's like a toddler trying to run away. And the parrot snags him by the back of the shirt. Whew. No, you don't. So Jonah's fleeing, right? And this, this storm comes And this storm is a miracle. You want to know why it's a miracle? Yes, storms come up. Yes, the seas get rough. Yes, these sailors would have dealt with these things over and over. This is their profession. This is what they do. But we know that this one's different because as soon as it hit, they were terrified. And they began crying out to their gods. They began looking for what they need to do in order to stop this. And so this was, a, this was a miracle. This was something God was orchestrating and something God was doing. So something we can understand about these sailors is that they are, they are polytheistic. So they believe that there's this pantheon of gods. They believe that they cry out to their own gods, that they have each family, each clan uh, has their own, their own god that they pray to. And and this these are these are are, are, are their familial gods. They they exist in in kind of like this divine court that they can uh, then influence these other cosmic deities, the ones that are more powerful, the ones that are more fickle, more prone to do things like cause crazy storms. And so they're praying to their gods, and the storm's not going away. And those, so they start looking. Where's the man? Where's the man at? Is he praying? And so the captain goes down and he finds Jonah, taking a nap. He tells him to get up. What are you doing? You lazy, good for nothing. Pray to your God. Maybe he'll do something. Maybe he'll think of us. Maybe he'll be able to make something happen. So then they decide, all right, let's cast lots. Let's draw straws. Let's roll the dice. We got six, six guys here. Let's roll it, see what happens, see whose fault this is. The die lands on a four, and they all look to Jonah. And they begin peppering him with questions. But this this casting of lots, this this Jonah getting selected, that's a miracle too. I know you're thinking that's it's a one in six chance. It could have landed on him, it could have not. You know, it's, it's what it is, but there's a clue here. There's a clue in verse 10. The first 10 that said, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They already knew Jonah was fleeing. They already knew that, that he had some sort of tiff with his family God. He, he didn't like what was happening. He didn't like what was going on. And so he was running away, but that's business that's back there. Jonah's not there anymore. Jonah's going to a new area. In their mind, in their perspective, there's gonna be all new gods Jonah's gonna have to deal with. He's done with that one. But what they didn't understand is why is this God following him? How is this God still here with him and causing this storm? And so that's what they're looking to find out. That's what they wanna understand. So they knew, they already knew Jonah had something to do with it. They need to know why. What is it about Jonah that causes the issue? And so they pepper him with these questions. Who are you? Where are you from? What is your occupation? What are your people? And what he says in response, it terrifies them even more. It terrifies them even more. He says that I fear God. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. I fear the Lord. That's the personal name of God, Yahweh. The God of heaven, that's the word Elohim, the Elohim of heaven. It's the same word that that the captain would have used if he spoke Hebrew to speak to Jonah, saying, call out to your Elohim, it's the same word that the narrator uses whenever they talk that each sailor called out to their Elohim. And so when Jonah told them that, that Yahweh, the name of his God, is an Elohim of heaven. He's a sky god who has command over the land and command over the sea. His response was spot on, what have you done? Because they knew they were paid. They knew they were hired to be able to take this man away from his God. But now there's coming quickly of uh, the realization that there is no escape. There is nowhere they can go. There is nowhere they can turn that God will follow them wherever they are. Because he is the God of heaven and the God of the land and the God of the seas. So they began to question him again. What do we need to do to you in order to satiate this God? And they said, he said, Throw me over, hurl me into the sea. And the storm will be quiet for you. The storm will calm down for you. And they didn't want to do that. And rightly so. Here's a God who's bringing about this disastrous storm on, on somebody that, that is a part of his people, as somebody that, that works for him as a prophet, right? You're going to throw him out? You're going to add murder onto the list of things that need to happen in here? I don't think so. So they try to row as hard as they can to get back to dry land. But the storm keeps pounding them. And it says that it begins to come even more tempestuous against them. And that, that is a miracle. It's a miracle because when we first heard, when the storm first hit, the ship was threatened to break apart. The storm begins to slam over it. The waves begin to push it around. It's getting pulled and turned and twisted coming up one billow and cresting at the top with the ends stretching down and then coming into the valley and smashing back together. One wave pulling the front this way, one wave pulling the back that way, twisting and pulling and stretching and splintering. And at the very beginning, the ship's about to tear apart, and over and over and over again, we hear that the storm grew more intense. The storm began to increase the intensity, the pressure, the disastrousness of the storm was fierce against them, but the ship is not broke. And they have not been thrown overboard. God is orchestrating this. God is pushing this encounter. God is narrating this business. So with nothing left to do, they throw Noah over the side. And I can picture it as the, as the ship is coming up and cresting at, at a billow, and, and they throw Noah one way, and, and, the, and the ship goes the other, and, and Noah's going here and struggling to stay afloat as the storm rages on, and the ship over here just begins to level out. And they look off into the east, and they've got a nice Illinois skyline to look at. Clear as day, bright and sunny and hopeful and cheer on this side and death and disaster over on the west. And Jonah, off that way and the sailors, safe and free just like he said he would be. So there's miracles all throughout this. So we need to allow for the possibility of God to accomplish things that are beyond our control. When we don't view God as a God of miracles, we tend to be self-reliant, self-sufficient. We can become manipulative and judgmental. Because when we have to make things work on our own, and when they don't, we need someone or something to blame. So our God is a God of miracles. But you know just because god has a god of miracles um, and we can read here in jonah and see many throughout the bible it doesn't mean that god always uses them god doesn't change he's he's not like a shadow that elongates and shrinks and moves this way and moves that way yet he's also not one that we can fully figure out so we learn from jonah that god is a god of miracles but we also learn that god is a god of consistency but not predictability. God is a God of consistency, but not predictability. We can trust God to be true to his character, but we also must allow for the creative and imaginative ways that he reveals his character to us. So let's return uh, this time to Jonah chapter three and verse one where we see God is consistent in his commissioning of Jonah. And so the word of the Lord, it came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and call out against it, the message that I tell you. And so Jonah, he got up and this time he went to Nineveh, as the Lord said, and he gets to Nineveh and he's got about a three days journey through Nineveh, but he's only made it about a third of the way. He's preaching and telling them that the Lord's impending doom is coming. He's telling them that Nineveh is going to be overthrown and he's only got a third of the way through his journey and the Ninevites are beginning to hear. The Ninevites are listening and they're believing God. And they called for a fasting and for putting on sackcloth. It's like a a rough goat hair, fun time outfit. But so that's what they're doing. And all of them are doing it. It says from the greatest to the least. So it's not, it's not just the people that, that Jonah's running into on the street, but it's, 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 it's everyone. It's not just the downstaters. It's not just those of us who live in fly country. It's everyone. It's the celebrities. It's the politicians. It's the business tycoons. From the greatest to the least, they all began to believe in Jonah's word, and Jonah's message, so much so that the word begins to travel, and it gets to the ears of the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, he removed his robe, he covered himself with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes, a sign of mourning, a sign of humility, a sign of Repentance. And so the king, he issued a proclamation and said that everyone needs to, everyone needs to, to fast. Everyone needs to put on sackcloth, even your animals. Put sackcloth on, your, on your, your cattle and your donkeys. Put on your cats and your dogs. Make a little sackcloth coat and put it on your leopard gecko. Get it on all of them. And so the king issues this decree And the Ninevites all began to fast and call out to God. And they believed God. And the king said, who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. You know what's fascinating about the Bible? It's how God inspired his word that in order that it would communicate not only to those to whom it was originally written, but to us thousands of years later. And it's more than just historical events that we need to extrapolate some some kind of meaning from, but even in the very composition, even in the very effort of how it was written, it's part of the communicative process in which God uses to reveal who he is. And the author of Jonah, he's very, uh, very keen on repetition to help clue the reader in onto certain truths. And there's words and phrases that are used over and over. Arise and arose. Hurled. Presence of the Lord. Down. Down is used five times after God told Jonah to rise and go to Nineveh. He went down to Joppa. He paid the fare and went down into the ship. Jonah had gone down into the inner part, and he laid down. And the sea may quiet down for us, then the sea will quiet down for you. Arise and go to Nineveh. But Jonah arose and went the other way, and he went down, 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 down to the bottom of the sea in a watery grave. So one of these repeated phrases comes into view when we when we read what the king said here and when we compare it to the captain of the ship. So in verse 3, 9, we see where the king said in his decree that God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And the captain in verse 1, 6 says that perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish that, that similar phraseology, that God might do something, that we might be saved, that we may not perish. This phrase causes us to look at the similarities between the sailors and the people of Nineveh. The similarity is that they're both people that, that are outside of the community of God's people. Jonah's a prophet and he preaches to and for the, the, the people of Israel so that their, their nation would prosper so that if, if they're doing wrong, they can correct it. If they're doing right, God's favor will be upon them. And so that is God's purpose, or that is Jonah's purpose. But here we've got two people groups, two types of people that exist outside of that community that Jonah's purpose is for. <clears throat> the, difference, the difference is that the sailors were stuck. The sailors had no option and nowhere to go and nothing to do do other than to throw Jonah off and that's sure enough what what they did was was pretty much sacrifice a prophet of God to throw him into the water that's what their viewpoint was at that point and so there's nothing there in, in, to, to emulate them as being a, a model of of proper behavior of what we're supposed to do right but yet even though there's nothing there God acts, and God relents from the disaster. And after God relents, then the sailors worship and praise Yahweh. The Ninevites are different. The Ninevites hear Jonah's word, they hear a sermon, they hear him preach, and they respond, they repent, they turn. And so they turn, and God relents. So with the sailors, God acts and the sailors worship. With the Ninevites, the Ninevites r- repent and God relents. And so there's a difference there in how they, how they act and, and how God interacts with them. But God is consistent. God relents in both situations, but the people are different. Our relation to God and his relation to us, it's, it's not formulaic. There's no prescribed method to garner favor with God nor a set of rituals in which we show ourselves to be of greater faith. Prayer is a pillar of harvest indicator, not because it causes God to hear us, but because through the process of prayer, we become thoroughly acquainted with God's presence worship is a pillar of harvest decatur not because it persuades god through flattery to think kindly of us in return but because it is our response to a god who is full of power and wonder and resolute love god does not change but we do humanity changes and through the millennia, God has remained faithful to reveal himself to each generation in ways that we can understand, in ways that we can recognize. And through it all, he remains the sovereign captain of the ship. So we learn from Jonah that God is a God of consistency, but not predictability. Most importantly of all, we learn that God is a God of mercy. We have essentially three characters here in Jonah in this story, and uh, there's really uh, no hero besides God, like I said, but we've looked at the sailors, we've looked at the Ninevites, uh, but we've not looked much at Jonah. And Jonah was a prophet, but he never really got it. It's sad but true. (laughs) That's for all you VeggieTale fans out there. All righty. <laughs> so we haven't talked about, about Jonah. So there's, there's speculation as to why Jonah ran. We get a glimpse into his psyche of what caused this, this point of contention with God's plan. And we'll get into this more into, into chapter 4. But Jonah said to God, this is why I made haste to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It's with God's mercy that Jonah has a problem. Now, some say that this could be because uh, Jonah's problem with God's mercy is because it takes away his uh, It takes away his purpose. It takes away his point, Jonah is a prophet, and he brings a message of doom and disaster and Then, if that doesn't happen because God relents, then his word as a prophet is is null it 's void and so why even why even bother i can I can relate to that i can I can feel that i'm I'm someone who is emotionally tied to a sense of purpose, and so that resonates with me, but there's There's something there, though, that that there's a glimpse of selfishness in that, isn't there? That Jonah would rather preach a message of doom and destruction and, and it go ahead and happen, that way his purpose is fulfilled. So Nineveh is destroyed so his purpose can remain intact. That's a hard one to swallow, especially when you think back to his interaction with the sailors in which he said, throw me in the water. What can we do in order to calm the storm for us? And Jonah said, For you, you throw me in the water and the storm. The storm's going with me and you all will be fine. And so he offers himself up as a sacrifice for the betterment of someone else. And so that thing of selfishness, I, that, that one's a hard one, hard one to swallow. But I think there's a, a, another clue in this storm. That when this storm comes and this storm hits, what's Jonah doing? He's taking a nap. He is so content and so at peace with the world at this moment that he is snoozing through the craziest storm that these sailors have ever seen. And he's down there sawing logs. Because Jonah knew what he did was wrong. Jonah knew God called him to preach to Nineveh, to go to Nineveh and tell them the message. And Jonah flee and he ran and he he went away. And so he knew he was in the wrong. And so his mind, his mindset is, yes, God, punish me. Come here and bring justice and do what's right. This is what I want of you. This is what I expect of you. And so Jonah, in this moment, even though disaster is coming, his mind is at peace because finally God makes sense to him. But what did God do? God showed him mercy. A fish swallows him, spits him on dry land. No matter where Jonah goes, no matter what Jonah does, God's mercy is there. And Jonah's fleeing with the sailors. God shows mercy. Jonah's drowning in the sea. and God shows mercy. Jonah's preaching to the Ninevites, and God shows mercy. The engulfing presence of God's mercy follows in the wake of Jonah's fleeing. Our God is a God of mercy. so what do we do? What do we do with knowing that God is merciful? I think looking back to the context of some of what Jesus was referring to when he referenced Jonah is helpful. He said that Nineveh would rise in judgment against those who seek a sign because someone greater than Jonah was in front of them. So a pagan nation would be a truer Israel than those religious impostors. The book of Jonah makes a similar conclusion in comparing the sailor's response to God, the Ninevites' response to God, and Jonah's. The sailor's response in verse 116 is that the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So like the sailors, in response to God's mercy, we do well to worship him. They responded in worship. They responded in sacrifice. They responded in making vows. Maybe a vow to remember, a a vow to commemorate, possibly even a a, a vow to to further understand who Yahweh is and find out more about him and what they can do to be a part of, of who he is they already moved in the story of from, from referring to him as an Elohim to referring to him as Yahweh when they prayed, Oh Lord, they called him by his name, Yahweh. So the sailors' response was to worship. And like I said, like the sailors, in response to God's mercy, we do well to worship him. We sing, we praise him in prayer. We talk about the great things he has done. We talk about how awesome and mighty he is. We tell others about who God is. We tell them about his steadfast love, his, his relentless love. The Ninevites' response in verse 310, we can see them as well. So when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them and he did not do it. The Ninevites repented. They turned from from their lifestyles, they turned from from what they thought and what they believed and they started holding fast to some of the things that, that they had heard. They put down the evil. And so like the Ninevites, in response to God's mercy, we do well To repent, we cease to take the fruit because the fruit always looks good. The sin that is before us and it's tempting, the animosity that we feel, the judgment, the critical spirit, the aggravations, the snide remarks the cutting jokes. We set all those aside. We repent. And like the king, we humble ourselves and we accept in faithful reception the love of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for being a God of mercy. Thank you for showing us that, like Jonah, when we continually make the same mistakes over and over, you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And you are merciful. thank you for the times in our life where we have experienced your mercy where we have felt your love so we do we honor you, we worship you we give you praise as the God of heaven who is over the land and the seas there is nothing outside of your purview there is nothing beyond your reach. And that at times even means our cantankerous hearts. And we are stuck in our patterns of sin. And you freely offer us forgiveness and hope and a promise of a better tomorrow. God, we trust in that. We trust in you. Lord, may these remaining moments in our time together, may they honor you for who you are and edify us. We join in unison. And we sing your praise. Amen.